the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is Monday, February 5th, fresh off the Pro Bowl. I'm sure you all watched. I, uh, I did not. <laughs> I missed it. And uh, I'll be updating the salaries accordingly because I believe the winners made $89,000. So a little bit of finances tied, tied to it, but overall, just an exhibition at its best. Some comments that came out we'll get to in a second here. Here's the agenda today. A little bit of baseball off the top. There's an extension brewing that Cousin Dan and I want to talk about briefly, maybe even extrapolate on where that may be headed. Nice trade. Finally, the Orioles get aggressive. Are they done being aggressive? We're going to marry the rookie extension conversation into the Baltimore Orioles conversation as well. And then I flipped the switch to football. There's a piece posted on spotrate.com. The annual quarterback cap hit Super Bowl conversation outlining... 24 years worth of Super Bowl quarterback contracts and the cap allocations that got them here. Obviously, it's growing. Cap, uh, Patrick Mahomes had the number one cap hit in football last year, and Brock Purdy did not. So as you might imagine, there's going to be a huge gap, a huge disparity. But where do those two things land in the last two decades plus of Super Bowl quarterback cap hits? And where are we going from here? That's that piece live on Track. I'll detail that. In just a few moments. And then at the back end, because, you know, 30 out of 32 teams are officially in offseason mode, the top free agent, according to me, from every NFL team heading toward March 13th and that March 11th negotiation period, many of these players are franchise tag candidates. And that window opens up in just about two weeks, less than two weeks, really. So we're here. You know, the Seattle Seahawks have their waiver period guarantees on February 14th. We're, we're here. It's, uh, it's time to start ta- having these conversations. The, uh, the offseason is going to sneak up really instantaneously after the Super Bowl finishes. And we'll be into franchise tag, tag discussions. The league salary cap should officially be set. Remember, we're, we're based off a 242.5 cap for 2024 right now. I have a sinking feeling it's going to be higher than that, slightly higher than that. So we shall see, but um, it's here. So baseball, baseball trades, quarterback contract cap hits for the Super Bowl, and the best available free agent from each team. That's coming up next. All right, Dan, good to talk a little baseball here. There's news popping up last night that the Kansas City Royals are at least attempting to extend their franchise superstar youngster, Bobby Witt Jr., uh, first question is this, because I think it's going to drive the rest of the conversation. Is this guy the, the starting shortstop for the next 10 years? Or is this one of those players that's going to move around the infield, things like that? He's not you know, established defensively as a shortstop. How, how do we read this player from a long-term standpoint positionally? It's a good question. I think the intention is to keep him there as long as possible, but I mean, they do have the flexibility there. If he's open to it, you know, potentially in the future, if they, it's probably a bit easier to acquire um, high end talent on the middle infield, somebody who could be a shortstop. Um, So maybe there's flexibility. Um, But uh, you know, as he ages, you can always move him over to third and we, we obviously know he, um, he can play there. So, but right now, we're evaluating this kind. We're projecting this contract extension as the starting shortstop at age twenty, whatever he is, right? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, for con- contractual purposes, I we're not yeah. talking third here. I we're just uh, touching on that from like a positional standpoint. But We've, yeah, from a 
from, yeah, we've, from dollars it's shortstop yeah we've gone back and forth on this because you know a, a lot of this league is positionless when it comes to contracts it's starting pitchers it's relief pitchers it's closers and it's batters right it's just batters can you can you hit a batted ball what kind of power do you have with that batted ball um, to some degree, what kind of consistency with your on base can you have? I mean, the, the, it, it's changed so much in, in terms of how we evaluate these things over the last decade. It's kind of insane. But does being the shortstop still hold the gravity that it used to? And should it mean that this player specifically should be north of Corbin Carroll because Corbin Carroll's an outfielder? Yeah, I think up the middle, you're always going to see premium, um, you know, those positions specifically be valued at a premium. So, yes, I'm going to, you know, Corbin Carroll be likely being a corner out projecting as a corner outfielder Mm -hmm. going going forward. I I think, yes. But yeah, just straight up in a vacuum, um, a guy that can play defensively at shortstop um, and we think he can stick there for multiple years. I, I think so. To what degree of, I mean, he's here, he's not considered a prospect anymore, but to what degree of a prospect is he? Is he as as high as any of these other names that we're talking about who have recently been extended, right? Are, are we in a, an Acuna Jr. conversation here to some degree, Dan? <clears throat> I think this is a pivotal year, but he could definitely take a step in that direction. Um, you know, like in fantasy circles, I know he's... Um, he's being talked about as, you know, you know, he's going in the first few picks. Um, Mm -hmm. and if you, you know, Robert Acuna, you're going to probably expect some regression off of that historic season that he had last year. So, um, if you're like talk, if we're talking about somebody who could really take a step forward into that, like one, one position, I I think Mm -hmm. it's him. Okay. Um, Jackson Churio just signed with Milwaukee on eight for 82. Is that a, is that a starting point here, or are these two completely separate players in terms of their ceiling and things like that? Are we are we more in a Fernando Tatis Jr. conversation here, Dan? Are we are we in the into the hundreds of millions of dollars with this player, or is Kansas City just trying to get him early before he has the breakout season you're talking about? Oh no, I think he already had the breakout Me too. season. I did um, too. So he's been on our bed. Like whenever we have these, you know, pre you know pre arb or extension talks he, he's been on my big board for a while now um so at first glance i was a little bit puzzled as to why they waited until what mm-hmm. I, I mean this theoretically could have been his career year now i don't think so i think he's going to be this type of player moving forward um but like why would they have waited well maybe they saw the move from third to shortstop in his future and then he put together and off that offensive season it all came together so they are now operating with the leverage and if you know kansas city would still be motivated to lock him up long term so when the the leverage sort of flipped to to bobby witt jr's side in my opinion right now after the year he just had um it, it makes more sense that maybe they that that's what like what you were alluding to earlier, the the positional focus, um, them being able to sell that he just had that year as a shortstop and he can do that going right. forward. Um, you know, it, it's going to be premium dollars. So yeah, he blows way past Cheerio in my opinion. Um, definitely more like a Tatis number. Um, 
Now, it, it, like in my opinion, are are is this going to set any records? Probably not, just because it's K- Kansas City. Are, are they really going <laughs> to do that? I don't know. Maybe I, I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to say no be, with this type of player. But um, it just seems like he will take some sort of discount um in terms of his like what we would call his current market value um or like projected it with it you know what he could make in free agency in the next three years based on the numbers um he's putting up in the first two years of his career um would be pretty high so if if there if this theoretically gets into free agent years mm-hmm. it, it the number is going to be high right I, I would think it has to right because this is not a 19 year old kid who hasn't played yet that's not what this is. He's 23 going on 24 this upcoming season, entering this final year of pre-arbitration, right? So arbitration comes next winter. That, that's that's where the money starts to ramp up anyway, right? So we're talking four years of team control, free agency in 2028 based on his current career path. So this is either going to be one of those bridge contracts where he, the, the, the Royals try to buy out two to three years of free agency with a bunch of club options to go on after that, right? Which is, that's pretty traditional stuff. Or it's going to be just an absolute blockbuster. And, and I think it could land somewhere in between, right? The, the name I'm, I'm, I know I have to bring up, but I'm trying to avoid right now is Wander Franco because that is the contract that absolutely floored us when it came. A, because he was young. He was 21 and change when he signed the contract. Not even actually. And it was Tampa Bay, a team that just, they don't pay anybody 10 million a year, let alone 11 for 182, right? Which is what that contract is. And, uh, you know, could be on its way to being voided, unfortunately, for a lot of reasons. But that's that's the contract here, right? That's the young shortstop who came out absolutely, you know, swinging his lights out, who took a team that generally doesn't pay contracts like this and said, this is a guy we absolutely have got to pay right now because he is the core that we need to build the rest of the system around. Now, it's not going to work that way from for all intents and purposes, but... Is that what we're thinking here with Bobby Whitdan? Because I, I just put him into our algorithm while we're talking here. And I can tell you right now that the 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 value and the length came out to 11 years, $242 million. So we're talking about a tax-adjusted version of Wander Franco. It's pretty much on the nose is what we're seeing here. Is that the direction you believe Kansas City should be going? Or do you think that for whatever reason, the agent doesn't want it, the player doesn't want it, that we're more likely to see a six-year contract that buys out all of his team control and just a few years of free agency so that he can hold some control of where he goes and what it costs going forward. My gut says more of the six, seven, eight with options sort of thing than than like 10 plus. Uh, And... I could I could very well be wrong with that. I think mm-hmm. his first the numbers he's put up in his first two years uh, put him on pace to be very very expensive, specifically um, in his arbitration, arb, yeah, his arb two and three years, right? Like historic historic numbers. We're talking Juan Soto getting third uh, thirty million in his final year, mm-hmm. like. Bobby Wood is easily right now on, I mean, there's a lot that could change in the next few years, but you know what I'm saying? He's currently on pace to have historic arbitration numbers in those years. So if Kansas city, like they don't want to get into a point where they're losing leverage from like uh, years of service standpoint, as in like uh, in a trade, his clock is ticking an acquiring team could only get a year or two from him um, while 
you know, his arbitration numbers are getting inflated, if that if that makes sense. So um, I don't think they want to get into that situation. So I think that they would commit a hefty number right now. But I think from the player side, um, he might not want to go in that 10 year range unless it is a historic number, um, which I mm-hmm. sort of previously already uh, you know, sort of laid the point out why I don't think it's going to be the case, but I am willing to be wrong on that. This could easily be 10 years. I don't even know. What, what did you just say? Oh, you said six for one for, uh, no, 11 for 242 is what it says. 11 for 242. So that's, that's a career contract. I mean, he's 23 years old. That's a career contract. So are are they simply going to cut that thing in half? Because that's what the agent's looking for. And by the way, I'm not saying I, I don't disagree with that. Right. I mean, if this kid projects to be a shortstop, at some point in time, if you're less than 30 years old and you're a shortstop who can play defensively, you're going to make 100 million plus, though. Every single name has already proved it, right? From Frankie Lindora down to Dansby Swanson, right? Xander Bogarts has already done it twice <laughs> in his 20s, right? So right. it's the money's going to be there, whether it's today or whether it's in six years for this kid, if he can hack it, defensively speaking. Um, you asked about, or you're referencing that the Royals probably don't go blockbuster. So I quickly did, an, did a, a dive into our all-time contracts on the Royals. Any guesses who holds the highest contract signed as a Kansas City Royal? Now, Grinky twice showed up on this team, but the contracts were signed with Arizona and the Dodgers, respectively. Okay, so, so he, he holds essentially the highest salaries here, but it came from somebody else's initial signing. But who who is the highest contract signed with the Kansas City Royals? Um, Alex Gordon. Alex Gordon extension was it's number, it's number two. That's that's pretty okay. good pull from you. It's it's currently on the books. It's Sal yeah. Perez. Yeah, Sal four Perez for eighty two. Yeah. yeah. So he's the he's the breadwinner in terms of Royals contracts. Eighty two million. So to say that you know they're about to hand out two fifty would be something, right? It, but it, but it. It's not unlike what happened with Wander Franco, Dan. That's exactly what we, what happened, right? We all turned around and said, "What the hell just went down there?" Right? Because what? we didn't see it coming. Now he was twenty one. There's a lot to it. He hadn't yet broken out, so a lot of that is paying for something they didn't know yet. I think you're right that Bobby Witt Jr. has already done enough from a productivity standpoint to where if I'm his agent sitting there in that negotiation room right now, I'm negotiating the fact that I want control. I'm not. I'm not looking for the most amount of money right now. Because I think the Xander Bogarts process is perfect, especially if you need to change teams. And I think that's unfortunately something that's going to have to happen here. You know, the Royals just don't hang on to people for 15 years, especially if they're high priced. They go through iterations like most small market teams should. You know, they go through three, four years of contention, maybe not even two to three. And then they have to rip it down financially, start over, build their build to the draft, and then kind of go back, you know, build themselves back up into a situation where they can as- afford to spend again. So I don't know that they're going to want a player on the books for that long. And I don't know that he's going to want to be here on the books for that long. So it, let's just say from a projection standpoint, because that was kind of the purpose of me bringing you on. Are we good with six years plus two club options? Right. So that buys out four years of team control. It guarantees two years of free agency. And then it probably guarantees four years of free agency with some club options that look pretty significant, right? Maybe 25, 27 million. Because, I, and I'm, if you can speak to this, I don't know if it's been a while since you looked at it. The Acuna stuff is ugly. 
right? I mean, Ronald Acuna Jr. got killed <laughs> with that contract uh, to the tune of what, 70 to 80 million at least right now? I think you ran the numbers on. Can you speak to that a little bit to, as sort of a buyer beware here for Bobby Witt Jr. and his staff? Well, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of... we. Acuna is hard for me because I think it's such an outlier. Um, He's a unicorn. Yeah. Right. And while it it is going to be fascinating, like the final number, you know, once we get through basically this, this year, we'll have a little bit of, um, we'll, we'll know the numbers more legitimately, but regardless, he's going to, he's going to be like a fringe in the an outlier in our sample size always right but there is i don't know that Witt jr is going to be that far off though dan no and that's i mean this is this guy's got 60 60 doubles 50 homers and 79 stolen bases in a little over 300 games 308 games that's what this guy's career has started off to be you know, throw the average away, throw the war and the OPS away. It's all good, by the way. I'm not I'm not saying it shouldn't be there. It's all good. But he is 90 to 95% of what Ronald Acuna's first two years were. You know what I mean? So it's not like this conversation is, isn't relevant. But I think I agree with you, Dan, that he's sort of in the Mahomes deal here where you just have to put him on a, pal, on a, on a pedestal and understand that it happened. And you're right. It's going to be fun to go back and understand how much he probably missed, you know, gave up in, in signing. But I, I just wanted to, to frame it that Bobby Wood Jr. is at least in this five tool conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was almost 30, 50 last year. And yeah. I and some think he might even add on to that a little bit this upcoming year. So I, I totally agree. I guess I guess through my vision of like how I think this could go with that, like six year range where we're just taking a little bit of his free agency. He's still getting back, you know, at a reasonable age where he could still sign another major contract. So if if he can lock up 150, I mean, what, what do we, I don't even know what the number would be at six year deal, but Mm -hmm. you know what I'm trying to say? If he can lock up, Eight, maybe 75 to 80% of his perceived value right now, instead of doing, you know, the year to year arbitration stuff, um, you know, hoping that he, he continues on this production path. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It makes sense for him to keep it on the shorter, shorter term. In my opinion, I think the Royals would be motivated to extend it longer, but um, the older he gets, the more uh, money he really is leaving on the table. I mean, if he gets back to free agency at 30 years old, even if he's kicking over to third base or something like that, he's still probably locking up a really, really solid deal if he's producing. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is here. I never never do when it's so hard to analyze these types of things. Yeah, I, so. I hate seeing kids give up free agency years if they don't have to. And and I guess that's how I framed initially this conversation with you is if I'm a shortstop, and I think you and I have talked about this, if I'm a shortstop, I'm not sure I'm doing this. I just don't know if I'm doing this because it's still one of those positions in this sport that holds a hell of a lot of power, you know? Now, Andres Hemin is doing it, right? A second baseman shortstop, right? Kind of a you know a bounce around player. 
who just came off the absolute top year of his life, you do that. You know what I mean? That wasn't a top three projected prospect. That was a kid who outkicked his coverage and needed to bank off it and did. So that contract exists. It's one of the ones I would use to, to bounce off of Bobby Witt's algorithm. Um, but it only makes Witt stronger, in my opinion. So to me, the conversation isn't so much, what is he worth right now? It's, is this worth it to him right now? You know, Because I think you're right. This is a world where you're able to make ARB3 31, 32 million. That's the going rate. You know? so, Shohei got 30. Soto just got 31. We're going to see a few more of those coming up here in the, in the next couple of years. If he just rides this thing out for the next four seasons, he's going to make a million this year, just estimated right on pre-arb. And then it's going to jump to what? 10 next year? You know, I miss instantly. Maybe, oh, a, just, his, uh, yeah. maybe a historic arb one salary. And then from there, you know how it goes, right? Every 15 to 20% at least just for doing what he's going to do. So arbitration alone can probably bag him $60 million. You know, if he plays his cards right, 30, 10, 20, 30, essentially just throwing it out there. That's that's really good coin to then also give yourself control, total control in four seasons and be able to go wherever you want to go and basically earn whatever you want to earn at 27, 28 years old. So to me, it's a tough call. Uh, if he defensively thinks he can hold up for the next four seasons as a shortstop, I don't think I'm signing anything right now. But that's my that's my personal preference, having monitored these things. Um, if he likes where this organization is going, it, I want to finish with that. Because the Kansas City has been kind of awkwardly adding veteran pieces here, right? This has not been the slow-paced offseason I think a lot of us thought was going to happen here, right? Seth Lugo, Hunter Renfro, um, who's the other pitcher? Waka, right? Michael Waka. They're bringing in some arms that, no, these aren't the top pitchers available, but maybe the second tier starting pitchers that were on the market and they signed them to lucrative contracts. You know, there's some opt outs and things like that, but 15, 16 million a year for those players. You don't do that unless you think you're at least going to win some ball games. Do you foresee this team winning ball games? Because if that's the case, if they're trying to build themselves into a division contender right now, that changes the Bobby Wick conversation a little bit because it's not so much we're just paying this guy to be our future cornerstone. We're now paying this guy to be a part of the core that we're building to win right now. But I don't know that I see this team that way. Do you? I really don't know where I land with them quite yet. Uh, I, something still doesn't really feel right with me. Right. I, and a lot of this is just the destination you're not, you're never going to be fit. We, we've talked about this previously, but you're never going to be in the market. You're rarely going to be in the market for the premium guys, right? So you're always going to be shopping mm. and they sort of jumped that market, signed some guys early. Um, I, I don't really love it in a vacuum, but I think they could win some games. I think why I don't love it is I think this organization needs to like they, they need to build through the draft and the international market, et cetera. And they had, you know, there is a new, uh, new front office there, but those things, that type of development takes time. And like typically during that time, it seems like teams should sort of be bottoming out to a certain degree. But on the flip side, I, I you know, I do give them credit for spending money. I like, I shouldn't be disregarding them for spending money. Oh, absolutely. You know I mean? and, and by the way, I like the players they've acquired. I'm just not sure it's the right timing, right? Because if I'm looking right. at the over under here, Dan, we'll get to this podcast soon, I'm sure. 
it's 73 and a half. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, that's not any kind of contention. Now you want to tell me that they're trying to, you know, framework themselves for 2025. Okay. Uh, but you tell me in terms of the, the prospects that they may have and, and some guys that may graduate to the big leagues this September, things like that. Is this a team that is up and coming, right? Is it, are they, are they, percolating to be that next version of Baltimore and Arizona, or are we kind of far away from that conversation? Well, it's within the range of outcomes, but again, they like those organizations have had been doing this num- a number of years. Like the, I mean, I think it was 2018 is when the, the Orioles flipped the switch on their international market where previously um, before Michael Elias came in, they, they were non-existent spenders yeah. there. Um, and then they went full bore, but I mean, that was 2018 and now it's four, five years later that we're starting to see, you know, some of the dividends pay off there. So, um, like even if the Royals started yesterday, we might not see the payoff for a number of years. And that's what I'm saying is that those few, those years are where teams sort of bottom out, get higher draft picks, more money to play with and move around in the draft, which gives you more darts. Um, to throw at the board, if you will. So, and that's just, I'm, I guess I, maybe I'm a little Cleveland biased because I think they do a really good job for a small market team and how they operate, you know, like, like Cleveland has the number one pick in the draft. I hear so many people say, well, it doesn't matter. They won't spend, they won't spend the money anyway. They're cheap. Right. Well, that is totally incorrect. Where small, where teams like Cleveland Excel is by maximizing this, the relatively small amount of money in the scheme of things that you have to spend in the draft and in the international market, right. they maximize that to the fullest to get a bunch of different dart throws at the board. And many of them don't hit, but a few of them do, and they can do it relatively cost effective. I think the Royals are in a similar camp where they sh- should be doing that. And maybe they are focusing towards that more, but again, that's going to be a number of years, um, mm. And in the meantime, though, they are they are spending in free agency, which really I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't disparage. But I, I kind of am from like an organizational building standpoint, if that if that makes sense. So and and we should also say this because I know this is something you talk about a lot. <clears throat> buying players like Michael Walker and Seth Lugo could also be buying themselves trade assets at the deadline. Correct. Which, is, which which aligns perfectly with your conversation, which is they have to be creative about how they do this. And if spending thirty million, you know, or I should say fifteen million dollars on a half a season for Seth Lugo and Michael Walker this year brings back four prospects on August first, it's probably worth their time. So if if that's the conclusion we get to, then well done, Kansas City. But we'll see. I think we'll know a lot about the organization and what they think when we see what this Bobby Wood Jr. contract looks like, if it's six and change, I think they're probably aligned with how you think if it's Wander Franco's contract, 11 for 200, 11 for 225, uh, there's probably something to be said there about maybe what they think they, their plan is over the next 18 to 24 months, which is exciting. Uh, quickly, let's go to Baltimore. We just mentioned them. Finally made the move we were hoping they'd make, which is acquiring Corbin Burns. Uh, it's tough not to love this from Baltimore's standpoint, even though there's not a chance in you know what that they're getting any kind of extension over the next couple of months here for whatever reason, you know, for their, for, I, I don't think they should want it. First of all, you should want to see Corbin Burns for one, one more year because there's some scary decline numbers happening with maybe his important metrics, but also 
you just don't have to. You, if anything, go and pay your young kids. You know, uh, finalize this sale, make all the make all the front office stuff come together, and, and just keep this clock moving. You've made now one impact move at least that makes you maybe the AL least favorite. Uh, but where are you right now? Does this mean something else is coming? Do you think this is enough for them with with pitchers and catchers reporting in eleven days here, or do you believe now that this is just step one? Maybe there's another trade coming. Maybe this is going to lead to an Adley Rushman extension. Where's your head with Baltimore now after this finalized move? Yeah, I I mean, first and foremost, I I really like it. For, I do like it for both sides. I think I've seen a lot of like rhetoric out there about how the Brewers got fleeced and all of this. I don't yeah. really agree with that because specifically because of the one year, uh, like it's almost a guarantee Corbin Burns is going to the free agent market, right? Unless the Orioles were to blow off, uh, you know, blow his socks off. But I don't think that's going to happen or should happen. Um, I, I think part of this, you know, part of the value is the flexibility. They get that, you know, bona fide ace, if you will, to add to that rotation. They now probably have one of the better top three um, starting rotations, uh, top three pitchers in their starting rotation in the whole league. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't give up that much for it right now. And I, so I, I, I know I just said the brewer, like the narrative is the brewers got fleeced and that I'm saying, well, yeah, they didn't get that much in return. It, it, it It's more so just that the Orioles have such a plethora of players that they can't all be impact players or, you know, impact pieces on this current roster. Um, you know, Joey Ortiz is a nice player. He was never going to make, you know, be an impactful player on this roster. So they move him out. DL um, Hall, I think the Brewers think he can start and that's within the range of outcomes. If not, he's pretty, his, his floor as a reliever is extremely high, in my opinion. Um, there there might be some injury concerns, but in this day and age with, you know, pitchers, you know, there always is. So regardless, I think they got two nice pieces in return, but from the Baltimore perspective, they didn't give up any of their big guns, if you will. So there still is room there for them to make an, another move if they want if that's a dylan cease or something like that they still have plenty of ammo if you will to use on a guy let's say it is cease and you get that extra year you then put two pieces in for this year you get that extra year with dylan cease to move forward hopefully you've are you've developed somebody at that point or a couple guys that can fill in the back of that rotation and then they're off from there so yeah i like it from both sides just in terms of i mean like as brewers fans it's extremely tough to get mm-hmm. rid of Josh Hader, um, you know, Corbin Burns and get the packages that you got for those guys. But I mean, it, it, it's just the nature of a small market team up against the service time clock for, for premium stars um, like that. Right. So. I, I agree with you uh, where we're headed here with Baltimore. I, they probably slow play things, especially with all the minutia going on behind the scenes with the finalization of the sale. And they're kind of going to have two owners here for a while, right? Because the, uh, the, the Angelos aren't going to officially dot the I and cross the T's until, unfortunately, Peter Angelo passes away with his illness. So there's a, it's a little bit of a flux situation. So no, there's no rush. There's really no rush with these kids right now. Jackson Holiday hasn't even stepped foot here yet. That's going to make things even more complicated and expensive here in the next few months. I, I, I don't dislike your Dylan C situation, but it's that would certainly mean 
forfeiting two or three massive prospects, right? I mean, that one's not, that's not going to be one you're going to screw around with if you're Chicago. Well, I don't even know massive necessarily. Like, I mean, we're not talking about, um, you know, Jackson holiday or anybody like that, but you have, you have guys like Jordan Westberg or something that are, are like high end prospects that would be extremely valued in other organizations that might get squeezed at some point in Baltimore. That's my only point here is that Baltimore has so much already there in the pipeline coming up in future years. And they're going to continue. Like I, this is just going to be a juggernaut in my opinion, without the Dodgers financial piece, if you will, you know what I mean? But I think they're going to, they, they, they're going to be operating pretty efficiently and, you know, with, with recent drafts, they've had high, uh, high draft picks, big bonus pools, et cetera. Um, they've done really well with it. And I think they're in a position to be able to maintain that with a little bit of, um, financial backing, which they're probably going to get here now, um, with new ownership in place. Right. So, it, and not, they're not going to become the Dodgers. I'm not saying that at all, but um, I, I just think they're in a really nice place here. So, Milwaukee projects to about 76 wins right now. Um, is this a sign that they're going to continue to rip this Band-Aid off, or do you think they hold court now and, and let 2024 ride out as is? I don't know. Maybe there's another move to be made, uh, but I, I could see them just kind of... St- I guess I don't know where I am with them. I, I can make a case for either side, which is, is um, pretty wishy-washy for a podcast. But um, I would think Adamus would be the one move, right? He's entering the final year of arbitration. He's going to cost twelve, almost $12.2 million here. That would be the move, right? You move the shortstop before you know you can't afford the shortstop. Is that what's going to happen here, you think? Or is that a player that's maybe trending downward to the point of where you wouldn't even get the value you want here? That's the thing is I, I don't know if he has much trade value. Like this feels like a um, Ahmed Rosario situation mm. with Cleveland last year where it was like kind of known that they were trying to move him. There's not a lot of places, you know, contenders specifically mm-hmm. who have holes at short um, and is a non-contender looking to pay that chunk of money for um, like a not like a really not premium defensive shortstop. Now, you know, kind of free swinging, uh, you know, th- there's just questions in terms of like his profile in terms of where he fits in um, to certain lineups. So uh, it, it doesn't necessarily surprise me when we had previously heard his name, you know, floated. I, I originally thought, wow, that's kind of a, a, a nice player for some teams to acquire and then once i really sat with it for a bit um it it didn't surprise me that uh there wasn't a ton of demand for him if you will so okay um like i said pitchers and catchers in just about a week here time to do our off-season stuff kind of recap the off-season that was even though i don't know a dozen free agents still sit out there right now hopefully it's going to be a quick run here to the finish line for those contracts but if not We'll evaluate the ones that did hit and uh, talk about some win total projections because we uh, we always have a fantastic disaster of a time doing that and try to pick out who's going to win these divisions and who might actually get to the finish line at the end of the year. Good stuff, man. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, White. All right. Time to move to the NFL here. It is a Super Bowl week. Finally, right? Radio Row is set. There's plenty to talk about in that conversation. I have posted our annual Super Bowl quarterback cap hit conversation. It's a pretty simple one. It's an efficient one. 
what is the quarterback's cap hit for that year? And how much of that percentage-wise was allocated to the league salary cap? The the onus for a long time was anything over 10% allocation was too much for a team to take on. Now, times have changed, right? Dead cap is no longer scary. The league salary cap is absolutely booming every single offseason, even through the COVID years, right? We had a little bit of a downtrod and there is some recapture still happening behind the scenes, but you know, we had a 16 million jump this past season. Most are expecting a near 20 to 24 million jump for 2024. You can account for more is the point. And we have the number one cap hit in all of football, Patrick Mahomes at 37.1 starting for the Super Bowl, Super Bowl chiefs this week. That represents 16.5% of the league salary cap which is third all time since 2000, I should say. I tra- I've been tracking these since 2000, and, and I'm pretty confident going backwards that you're not going to find anybody greater than Peyton Manning's 18.8% as a member of the Colts back in 2009. It was really the, the balloon payment he took before they moved on from him. And then Patrick Mahomes himself last season carried a $35.8 million cap hit which was 17% of the league cap. That's second all-time in terms of Super Bowl starting quarterbacks. So Mahomes this year is third all-time. It's obviously a back-to-back top number for him. And funnily, he is facing a rookie contract for the second straight season. Jalen Hurts last year was 0.8% of the league cap, and Brock Purdy this year is 0.4% of the league cap, which is the lowest cap hit allocation in the Super Bowl since 2000. And I would argue to say that there's a chance it goes back much, much further than that. Who did he take down in terms of the lowest threshold? Tom Brady in 2001, who for 22 years at 0.46% of the league cap was the leader in the clubhouse in terms of the biggest cap value as the Super Bowl starter. So Brock Purdy is now... Not only Mr. Irrelevant, but he is the lowest threshold cap hit to, to start in the Super Bowl in modern history. The other ones, Russell Wilson was on a rookie contract, as you very well know. Nick Foles had just redone a contract to rejoin Philadelphia when he started for Carson Wentz. He was under 1% at that point in time. Seven of these 48 Super Bowl contracts that I have listed here on SpockTrack.com carried a less than 1%. Only seven. And we've had two in back-to-back Super Bowls in Jalen Hurts and Brock Purdy. Um, interestingly here, for these 48 quarterbacks, the average cap hit percentage for the winners, 7.8%. The average cap hit percent for the losers, 6.1%. It's close. All right? It's very close, which means that for the most part, Balance works. And I've talked about this quite a bit, right? Something in the middle of the road essentially offers the team the most flexibility, offers the organization the chance to, to retain contracts, add a piece or two as needed, and, and maintain through the draft as well. So that's been the norm. That's been the trend that I've always banged on when I got in front of this microphone for this conversation, really for the past 10 years. We're starting to see it differ. Okay. Now, look, for every Patrick Mahomes, you know, cap hit, you'll have one out of 10 Brock Purdy's. I mean, it's an absolute 
diamond in the rough, lightning in a bottle situation. All right. Again, Brock Purdy's number took down a 22 year record in Tom Brady. So that's how rare, just from a number standpoint, this is for San Francisco. Jalen Hurts is a little bit more traditional. Okay. He outkicked his coverage on his rookie contract. There's just nothing better than that. And A, he joined a team that was ready. He joined an organization that is aggressive every offseason, refuses to rip the bandaid off at any point in time, uses option bonuses and restructures as aggressively as anybody in the league. And yes, they carry dead cap because that's how they operate their business. So they have a razor margin in terms of active cap space, a heck of a lot of retained in dead cap, and they have to utilize the draft for a lot of their positions of importance in order to maintain flexibility and stay in contention. So when you've got a rookie quarterback in the, in the Super Bowl on a $1.6 million cap hit, you have solved Howie Roseman's formula, okay? That is just an iteration that he... That's what he's going for here, all right? He is not trying. That's why he got rid of Carson Wentz when he did, by the way, all right? You don't want to operate in 30s and 40s and 50 million if you simply don't have to, when you have a roster built around you that can manage, that can win, that can sustain, there are certain places you want to actually force value. And I think in certain instances, the quarterback position can be that. I don't know if I'd recommend it, right? You better be pretty damn confident in A, your coaching staff, your front office, and your ability to have depth in every other position like San Francisco has this year to be able to do something like this. So let's get to pretty quickly, right? The game manager, the system quarterback, all those things that you've heard for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and why you shouldn't be the MVP and blah, blah, blah. To me, the bigger conversation is if he's really those things and, and if San Francisco is here because his cap hit is 889,000 and because the rest of the roster is unbelievably high paid, including the, the deadline acquisitions, right? Chase Young, et cetera. If that's the case, and you've already got most of those players under contract, Debo, Trent Williams, George Kittle, Nick Bosa. If they're already under contract, is there really going to be a need to extend Brock Purdy? He's de he deserves it. I think he's playing excellent football, especially from where he came from. But why would they get themselves into another Jimmy Garoppolo situation where they're bleeding, you know, 30 to 40 million cash on your air quote system quarterback. Do they believe they can't just go back to the draft and identify a player who has the cognizance to do this, to, to run this offense? To me, it's risky. I don't think I'm voting for it, but just to say it out loud, if operating with a 1% cap hit quarterback is the secret sauce to maximizing the most potentially explosive set of weapons and arguably the deepest defensive line, even though they don't look like it at times, in all of football, if that's what it is, then shouldn't they just be going back to the draft this year with a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round pick and trying to identify a player who can simply just step in and has enough physical ability and certainly maximizes his mental ability to be able to run Kyle Shanahan's offense at least for three quarters, right? Which is what it takes here. Basically, you know, whatever's written down on the notepad walking into, into the Sunday is usually enough to beat the other team if you execute. So to me, it's a fascinating conversation because I, I don't think at any point in time, Kyle Shanahan was happy with Jimmy Garoppolo, but Jimmy Garoppolo 
was experienced enough to be able to maintain the level-headedness it, it was necessary to manage the set of weapons that the 49ers have put together. Now, Purdy is a much better iteration of that. He's a much better version of that. And by the way, I want him to get his money. So I, I don't mean to be here negative player, you know, anti-contract. I'm just fascinated by the system. I'm fascinated by the opportunity, right? Jalen Hurts signs his contract. And I don't know, is it just a coincidence that the Eagles completely tank? (laughs) Go in the tank for half a season, at least for half the season, they looked like they were still absolute world killers. If the recipe works, why would you mess up the recipe with a $250 million extension? I don't know. It's a fascinating conversation that we're going to have to get into over the next eight to 12 months. And he will be extension eligible in 12 months. There's no reason to believe that this team won't look like this in 2024, because like I said, the weapon sets are going to stay the same. You'll lose a couple of players defensively. We've got a Brandon Ayuk conversation as we talked about a couple episodes ago. But for the most part, this is just run it back and hope that Brock Purdy not only is able to maintain this production, but actually become a little bit more experienced in it, a little bit quicker in it, and actually keep this thing moving at a really nice pace. So I'm absolutely fascinated by the idea of the fact that San Francisco may not need to pay a quarterback, even even as contenders. And what does that look like? What does that mean as other teams spin their wheels trying to find any semblance of productivity on their offensive as we head to the 2024 offseason? All right, quickly. A notable free agent from every single franchise Lightning round, speed round. We're doing plenty of work on spotchart.com with all these free agency. If you go to our free agent tracker, I have an analysis tab where I have broken down the top 50 in terms of my objective thinking and what those contracts may be looking like in the next month or so. March 13th is the league start. The Arizona Cardinals. It's not pretty. All right. The only player I put with any kind of value right now is Marquise Brown. Hollywood Brown, the wide receiver from Baltimore who was acquired by Arizona. You know, he's a 10 to $12 million player. And I think he might have to showcase himself, possibly in a new offense, to actually bring this thing together. Because if I'm just extrapolating some estimations here, I'm going to guess Kyler Murray and Marvin Harris Jr., Marvin Harrison, are going to be one of the better one-two punches in all of football next year. All right? Um, The Atlanta Falcons, boy, a team to watch here. Holy good... What's going to happen with this defensive-minded coach? How are they going to figure out the quarterback situation? And they've got weapons ready to go. Is there an offensive quarter in place now, coordinator in place now that can finally make it tick? Uh, from a free agent standpoint, it's a couple of uh, veteran defensive players. Calais Campbell, who might retire, but probably should come back and make one for eight or something like that because he's been unbelievably productive even at his age 37, believe it or not. And then Bud Dupree, uh, after the injury, it just hasn't looked the same. He's probably showcasing around Genevieve Clowney's contract, one for six, one for five. Just turned 30, so it's not like age is super big of a factor, but those two players hitting the open market should have something available to them as long as Clayus Campbell decides to come back. Baltimore Ravens, AFC runner-ups. Uh, Justin, Justin Matabuke, for sure, had a breakout season. I don't think they're going to franchise tag him in Baltimore, so we're talking about a player that's looking for Montez Sweat money. All right, 22 and a half, 23, 24 million a year over four or five years. Going to be one of the bigger, flash, splashiest free agent contracts that we have out there. The Bills have a lot of really nice glue guy players 
right? Gabe Davis is in this conversation as a wide receiver who's looking to up his role probably somewhere else. But I'm going to put Daquan Jones as my player, a player who was absolutely vital to the Bills defensive line until he got injured in London. Really never came back into full form. He's 32. So it's one of those clowny type contracts again that I'm, I'm, refer, I'm referring to here. One for five, one for six, maybe even two for 10, half guaranteed, but you want to keep him under term. He's just got value. All right. He is a run stuffer. He gets to the quarterback. The hurries are really impressive. He's got speed for his age. This is a player the Bills probably want back, especially since Sean McDermott, right, a defensive line coach, is still the head coach there. You can understand them wanting to load up on depth with this position. I would guess that Buffalo tries to bring him back on something friendlier than what I've referenced. But I'm telling you right now, even at age 32, that's probably the going rate for a guy who has more value than just the stats can hold right now. Carolina is pretty easy. Brian Burns is going to get franchise tagged. I don't see any way out of this for Carolina, who are just spinning their wheels right now. Let's keep our eyes on a tagging trade here because I actually think it's the best move for Brian Burns, but also for Carolina, who just need to start to load up on, on draft assets right now, especially for the upcoming season. So that's where I'm putting my head with the, with the Panthers. Yes, keep him around on the tag, but really shop him hard and see what you can get back, especially as it pertains to the 2024 draft. Excuse me. Jalen Johnson in Chicago, probably the same deal. Uh, just too valuable to lose. It's a position of importance for Chicago. We think they're going to, you know, turn things over a little bit here offensively with a new quarterback. You're probably going to trade Justin Fields for some draft assets. So I'm keeping Jalen Johnson on the tag until I can get through free agency. And then I'll hammer out something long term with him if he's willing to stay, if he's willing to go at basically around 18 million a year, which is the going rate for the franchise tag as well. T. Higgins for the Bengals. Um, I'm not sure they tag him. I know that's what everybody says is going to happen. I just don't know if it's in if, if it's within their right. I really don't. To me, it's more important for Jamar Chase to get extended this offseason. It's more important for them to bolster their secondary this offseason, maybe add a, an offensive lineman for Joe Burrow this offseason. I don't want to lose T. Higgins. And I understand that he hits the open market and there may be some gigantic offers. But I think the Bengals can make an offer and probably already have made an offer that is going to be competitive. And at the end of the day, their, their pitch is simply going to be, you can leave, all right? You can leave. And maybe Houston is attractive with CJ Stroud. But outside of that, are you going to be finding a quarterback in an offense that is, that is really worth your time and offers you the most productivity that Cincinnati does? So it's probably a franchise tag. But I would, I would buyer beware on that actually coming to fruition in the next couple. Cleveland, I know you want me to say Joe Flacco. It's not Joe Flacco. It's Darius Smith, another 30-something edge rusher. Had a monster year. He said back-to-back monster years. He's in that conversation. Two for 10, two for 12. Uh, Cleveland probably wants to keep him, but with Garrett's contract getting expensive, a couple other secondary pieces, Denzel Ward, et cetera, now on the books. This is probably a player you lose in free agency, and the contenders will be very, very interested <laughs> with this player hitting the market. Dallas has a lot, right? Not so much the free agents that are about to walk, but, but the players that need a contract extension currently on the books. I still think it's Tyron Smith, the left tackle forever who had to bounce around a little bit because of health issues. He's still a $10 million player in our system. All right. He posted outstanding advanced metrics after a really miserable 2022 because of the injury. 
So it's really just can Dallas make this work? You know, are you putting them on a one year contract with void years? So that it carries basically a minimum cap it for 2024 and allows you to do that, all the other dirty work you have to do. Losing him would be would be a problem. I could put it that way because there's some age issues, there's some injury issues on that offensive line that are going to make Dak Prescott look even worse than he did in that postseason game. The Broncos have some, you know, some linebackers set to hit the open market. Uh, Jose Jewell, Lloyd Cushenberry, players like that. They're going to be fine, you know. Uh, there's some, there's a world where some of these players, you know, Cushenberry's a center about to hit the open market. You want interior offensive linemen to hit the open market and maximize, and he will. He could become the highest paid center in the history of football because those kind of players generally don't walk, but I think he will walk. To me, it's more about just what kind of work Sean Payton's going to do, right? Russell Wilson may be out. Cortland Sutton may be out. Jerry Judy may be out. Fascinating offseason team in a, for a lot of levels not so much the available free agents. Jonah Jackson, speaking of interior offensive linemen for the Detroit Lions, should bank. He really should bank. Now, I don't know if Detroit wants to bring everybody back and run it back completely. This is one of those players that is fringe when it comes to advanced analytics. It's probably a position they can upgrade if they've got a draft slot to do so, if they've got a little free agent asset capital to do so. My guess is he walks. Fortunately for Detroit, this is not a loaded free agent list. Most of these players are under contract. They'll be able to make decisions internal, internally instead of having to deal with other people's offers down the road. It's a similar conversation for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, John Runyon, another guard, another you know, slightly less than a, above average interior lineman, should be in that three for 21 range. When it's all said and done, he's only 26 years old. You don't want to mess with Jordan Love's offensive line too much, but this is an area you can improve. So I would expect them to do so, whether it's via free agency or the draft. A couple other names here. Darnell Savage, a longtime, really nice player who had a couple of down years, but excelled in 2023, may have figured some things out. Uh, that may be a contract you want to bring back, even if it's like one for eight fully guaranteed, something like that with void gears. This, this is a team you don't want to screw around with too much because it's got some chemistry. It's got some juice. Speaking of which, Houston. Um, I'm going to put Dalton Schultz at the top of this list, the tight end from Dallas who came over to Houston after some injuries. This could be the biggest free agent tight end contract we get. All right, I've got him at about three for 34, which for a 27-year-old tight end, maybe a reach. I think somebody reaches. And by the way, that team should be Houston. All right, there's chemistry. You don't want to screw around with CJ Stroud too much. It looked absolutely as good as, as maybe it's ever looked from a rookie quarterback. If this is one of the guys that he trusts, do not let this guy walk away. You want to go and pay for T. Higgins? You want to go and pay for Mike Evans? Fine. Bolster that side of it. Bolster the exterior of your, of your weapon set. But Dalton Schultz should remain, even if it costs you top of the market tight end money. Indianapolis kept Jonathan Taylor. Are they going to keep Michael Pittman Jr.? And he's one of the top wide receivers set to become un- available. He is for sure going to get that 20 and chains franchise tag. And I wouldn't even screw around with it too much. All right. I'm locking him into 25 million a year pretty quickly. And I'm, uh, I'm letting Anthony Richardson know that we are here to pay. We are here to bring you weapons. We are not done. We're going to find more in the draft, but this is going to be your number one guy because really for three seasons and three offensive coordinators and three quarterbacks and as ba- about as bad as it could be, This guy has risen above. So why wouldn't he continue to rise above with some stability inside of that offensive room? Jacksonville. 
There's a couple. All right. Ezra Cleveland, interior lineman. Calvin Ridley, the wide receiver. Big contracts coming there. Josh Allen's the guy. This is the guy that wants to stick around. He should stick around. He is one of the advanced metric darlings, and he's gotten better every single season, including through that fifth-year option. It's about a 22-and-change franchise tag for him right now. That's a no-brainer. It's just, A, do they make him play on it? B, do they try to trade him off it? Or C, do they try to lock him up long-term? I would hope it's the latter, but with Trevor Lawrence's contract, at least a possibility this offseason, they could be thinking otherwise. Really nice player, though. And if he's available in any regard, even if it's via trade, look out. Half the league's in on that guy. Speaking of which, the preeminent number one overall free agent who I don't think is getting a franchise tag, who I don't think will get a maximum contract from his current team, Chris Jones. We talked about it quite a bit. He's still a $30 million player. Even if the math says 27, 28, Kansas City's going to want to do 27, 28, maybe even 25, 26. Does that mean he walks March 13th? I think so. I think he at least goes out there and sees what Chicago and Houston and Detroit have to offer him, Sandy or Los Angeles. It'll be there. I think the contract will be there. I, I know 29 going on 30 is scary for this type of player, but I'm done trying to guess when he's going to actually fall into decline because I think he is a 1B to Aaron Donald, and that is really saying something. The Vegas Raiders, it's Josh Jacobs. I know he had a down year. I know he had nothing near what he did in 2022. That's kind of what happens when the coaching staff and the offensive coordinator and most of the draft picks completely flake out. And that's what happened in the middle of the season. I thought a lot of things looked really nice down the stretch, including Jacob's role. I would try to keep this player. Now, I know that his preeminent um, replacement is probably already rostered in white. It doesn't matter to me. This is a team that needs to bolster the run game, the short passing game, et cetera, because they do not have this quarterback figured out yet. Aiden O'Connell is probably going to get the keys in 2024 with basically a whole new offensive structure, right? New coordinator, new system coming in. Let's keep this guy who's kind of shown he can do everything now, pay him a little bit more than maybe we want to, which is like three for 33 for 33. And let this guy, let the offense run through him again, like it should have done last year and at least get this guy two years of full juice, full guarantee. The Rams, man, they acquire Kevin Dotson from the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he becomes one of the best guards in all of football. This guy went from like $6 million per year, which is where he was heading into 2023, to, I'm telling you right now, mathematically, he's a 16-year player. I think he's going to get 18, 19, 20. I think that's how good he looked in this Rams offense. I don't know that they can do it. All right. There's a lot of mouths already fed on that Los Angeles Rams team, and they got to keep a lot of their core together. And I'm not sure Dotson is in that core right now, even though he just played as if he should be. So this is a player that goes and gets top of the market interior lineman contract from a team that probably, if they think they're one offensive lineman away, this could be that player. So it's not a name you're thinking about. It's a name you should be thinking about heading towards March 13th because it could be the reason that your team becomes a playoff team in 2024. Los Angeles Chargers. Man, I think there's going to be a lot more players added to this list with bubble cups and cap casualties. But for now, it's still Austin Eckler. I know. He didn't look fast. He didn't look explosive. He didn't look shifty. He was dropping passes. I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. All right? All I know is somebody probably gives him two for 12, half of that guaranteed. 
to try to be the player he was a year and a half ago. And I don't blame him for it because for years and years and years, this was the number one fantasy darling. And for to have him just fall off a cliff like this feels a little bit more like something else was going on. You know, like maybe I don't want to get hurt because I know I'm going to free agency. Somebody's going to give him a chance. It's not going to be a top of the market. It'll be a nice value play, but somebody's going to give him a chance. The Miami Dolphins are in cap hell right now. Plenty of work to do. May have to pay Tua even though they don't want to pay Tua. May have to pay Jalen Waddle, even though Tyreek Hill is also under contract. Probably should also pay Christian Wilkins, who is a top 10 free agent, pending free agent right now. And the franchise tag is about $21 million. So that's not going to help their cap situation at all, by the way. Right. So my guess is they'll get something done here. Now, the agent may say, no, no, we want to test the waters. We want to talk to people on March 11th. I still think Miami knows what they have here. Yes, they've locked up, locked up Zach Seal or things like that. Bradley Chubb. You know what you have right now. You know you have a good thing going. You, you were maybe a couple of offensive plays away from being where you wanted to be this year. This guy's a keeper. This guy's a three-year full of guaranteed. You know, and, and from there, it's going to be Montez Sweat's type contract, even though mathematically, he's about a 20, 20 million per year player. So it's finding that balance between these two parties so that the franchise tag cap hit doesn't sink the Dolphins' ability to operate this offseason, and it keeps Christian Wilkins in tow. Kirk Cousins, he's a top five free agent. I know he's old. I know he's coming off that ridiculous Achilles injury. He's still a 30 to $40 million player in my system. And that's how this should go. All right. I think the asking price, what, has been three for 120. He's probably asking for fully guaranteed because him and his agent have been able to ascertain that for three straight contracts. This is probably the one where that falls off. And you have to go two out of three years fully guaranteed or one out of two years fully guaranteed. Similar to what Tom Brady did in the latter stages of his career when he stopped taking fully guaranteed of their deals, but took nice signing bonuses to offset his ability to, to not have second year cash built in. That's how I see this going for Kirk Cousins in a return to Minnesota at about two for 70, 35 million guaranteed now, maybe more of that, maybe a roster bonus in 2025 built in with some guarantees as well. New England. Yuck. <laughs> okay. Uh, unfortunately, that's the word I have to give out for the whole situation until we can see how this thing starts to come together a little bit. But there's some defensive pieces falling off this roster that are really nice. I mean, really nice. And there's two offensive linemen that I think could get snatched up <clears throat> day one to really nice deals, right? Trent Brown, one of the better right tackles in football, who's getting up there a little bit. <clears throat> and Mike Onman Yoon, who's could be a starting right tackle for a contending team tomorrow on 15 million a year. Kyle Duggar's the name though, right? He's one of those safeties that, man, they, they did do that right in new England. All right. <clears throat> How many safeties that came out of this, came out of that organization and either went elsewhere and just exploded or stayed there forever and maybe headed towards the hall of fame. Kyle Duggar's in this conversation. All right. Now he had a down year. The whole team did. And this is one of those players you might want to build around. So I'm going to ascertain that this is a franchise tag situation. It's about 16 million for a safety. That's about his going rate. So I think that you keep this guy around, leverage the situation, and try to fill holes elsewhere because it's just a it's a rough go right now for everybody involved. Michael Thomas for the New Orleans Saints. I guess 
All right. I mean, this is one of those players that maybe latches onto a team like the Bills on a showcase incentive laden contract, not unlike what Odell Beckham Jr. is having to be doing over the past couple of off seasons. For the Giants, certainly it's Saquon Barkley. And by the way, I believe he's going to the Chargers on about $12 million per year to replace Austin Eckler. <clears throat> and if I could bet it, I would do it right now. For the Giants, it's Bryce Huff, an edge, edge linebacker who really shot out of nowhere in 2022 and basically held up his end of the bargain in 2023, even though much of the Jets situation kind of crumbled to pieces. If he was a $9 million player last year, and I believe he was in our system, it's probably closer to $15 million right now. Three for 45, two years fully guaranteed. He's going to get himself a really nice payday this March. And I don't know if the Jets will be the, one, the team to do that. They may look to move on and, and replace him via the draft. Easier said than done, but they certainly developed him properly over the past couple of years here. Philadelphia's got some aging veterans, right? Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, et cetera. It's certainly Jason Kelsey walking away here. Derek Barnett. DeAndre Swift's in this conversation. He's only 25 years old. My guess is Fletcher Cox can still do this. I don't know why he would leave Philadelphia, even though they really should turn some of these pieces over. They've drafted heavily on the defensive line. Does he join Baltimore on one for seven with a chance to make it 12 with incentives to replace Justin Metabuke? That sounds like something everybody would do here, right? So let's just make that one of our bold predictions for the 2024 offseason. Pittsburgh Steelers? I don't know. Uh, this is a team that doesn't really have anybody walking away worth anything right now. They've kind of done their dirty business. They're gonna, there's going to be some cap casualties. There's going to be some trade conversations, maybe with some of those weapons, running backs, wide receivers, etc. And obviously, they got to figure out their quarterback role because if Kenny Pickett isn't it, and I don't think he is, this could be a Russell Wilson situation. And if that's the case, they're going to want to bolster, right? They're going to want to add, add, add to make Russ's job as easy as possible and with a new offensive coordinator, et cetera. So quiet free agent wise in terms of what they're relinquishing, but could be extremely splashy when it all comes down to it. The Super Bowl 49ers, it's a couple of defensive players, right? It's Chase Young, it's Javon Kinlaw, and they're going to be wanted. You know, Chase Young's not the number two overall pick. That's just not what his production says he is. But he's in this one-year showcase contract conversation, and it's not going to be six, right? It's going to be one for 10, one for 12 with sack and playoff incentives to get it to $15, 16000000 million. So you're going to have to pay probably for one year of service for Chase Young, see how he fits. This is one of those things where you sign the player, right? Houston signs this player to bookend Will Anderson. Let's just say that out loud. He's got eight sacks in five weeks, right? And they lock him into like 75 million guaranteed right there in the middle of week 10 during the bye week because they understand that this kid just needed the right change of pace, the right change of scenery, and maybe a little help on the other side of the room. And that's where we are. So I'm, I'm rooting for this kid. I think that uh, the effort the last couple of years has been outstanding and, and maybe that's been the mock on him in Washington for a bunch of years. I'm rooting for this to be not only a... a a football resurrection, but a contract resurrection as well. Jordan Brooks and the Seattle Seahawks, uh, one of those gutty interior off-ball linebackers that Seattle likes to pump out, battled some injuries, right? A torn ACL in week one of 2023. <clears throat> Excuse me. In week 17 of 2022, basically got all the way back. All right. The advanced metrics don't love this player. There's some coverage issues, et cetera. 
he has done enough to warrant a nice, nice contract, 12 million, 13 million a year. And I actually think he's going to stick around in Seattle, right? They're going defensive minded from a coaching standpoint. You don't want to give away players like this if you don't have to. He's not a top of the market player. So let's keep him in Seattle on basically what is a middle of the road contract. That is not the case for Antoine Winfield Jr., right? The non-pro bowler, but first team all pro safety has everything going for him. Now he's going to get tagged, 16 million and change. He's worth 20, all right? For all intents and purposes, this player should be the highest paid, highest guaranteed safety in the history of football sometime before training camp. That's all I can tell you. Are they going to make him, you know, hold out a mini camp and all that stuff with this franchise tag offer? Probably. I don't recommend it, but probably. But at some point in time, they're going to have to make him the highest paid everything in terms of top marks for safeties because he lights up the box score. He does everything, does absolutely everything. And he's done it now for three seasons, minimum three and a half, really. You're going to have to get this one done. It's not a position you want to move on from at this point in time. Derrick Henry, 29 going on 30, still one of the best advanced rated and overall production running backs in all of football. To me, he's still a $10 million player. Now, you want to tell me somebody offers him two for 18 and there's tons of incentives built in? I'm fine with that. I already gave you a team that I think is going to load up on like one-year showcase contracts, incentive-laden contracts. I think this is a Baltimore Ravens landing spot for a lot of reasons. And I think Miami's probably in this conversation as well. But those two teams specifically would know how to use this player, know how to protect this player. And this player would actually give them another level of offense to play with that they have not had in a bunch of years. So to me, that's how this is going to work. He's not a minimum contract. He's not, this isn't Ezekiel Elliott hitting the open market. This is Derek. This is 90% of Derek Henry hitting the open market. And that should still mean something contractually speaking. And finally, the Washington commanders, a couple of defensive backs that should really bank. And if I'm the new regime in Washington, I'm paying them both. I'm franchise tagging somebody, Kendall Fuller or Cameron Curl, and keeping them both with some sort of extension by the time it's all said and done. It's going to be expensive, but you're going to be able to stop the, stop the passing game inside that NFC East division. And that should be enough for whatever quarterback situation you get yourself into at the top of the draft to go along with Cliff Kingsbury. It should be enough to really turn this thing around quickly. You let these guys walk. You're starting over at too many, too many position groups on this roster, and it's going to take you years to actually plug all those holes. So two really nice defensive backs. Both should get 13 to 15 million per year. Both of those contracts should come from Washington before March 13th. And that's that. Long-winded version of the best available per team to go along with a quarterback cap conversation and some great work from Cousin Dan on what's going on in Major League Baseball. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.